requested that the stewardship class stay upstairs tonight is because uh, your stewardship curriculum, the very next lesson that we were presenting to you, now the, my father's house, you had a lesson number two in that, which Brother and Sister Cox are prepared tonight to teach, but the lessons did not come in from headquarters, from the publishing house. Uh, they were going to teach it anyway, but in view of the fact that the next lesson that I was teaching you was on sanctification, all of which we then go into holiness standards for men and women, that is, dress uh, types of uh, dress codes and such that, that we feel are very, very important. I thought that I should have all of you to stay here uh, tonight in the auditorium. Now, I'm not for sure just how long that this will take, but I will take the amount of time that I need in order to express myself as well as I feel that I need to express myself. Now, the reason why I'm doing this, we're going to talk real straightforward to you about it. Last Sunday evening, we had a class downstairs in which we talked about some gymnastic events that our young people are involved in. And since then, I have had so many calls and some letters written uh, in support and in disappointment relative to what we are doing. And I just felt that I needed to confront the issue straight on, spend a little bit more time than what we did uh, Sunday evening after service. I will not however, speak as plainly as I did downstairs due to the fact that that uh, we have a good number of people here who are teenagers and some young ones who uh, may or may not know what I would be addressing. Now, we started in our Christian school. Well, let me back up a little bit because we do have some, some uh, new people here some people who have moved here and some who have just been baptized here, filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, if you look around, you notice that all of our ladies wear uh, dresses and our men wear pants. And uh, they, uh, <laughs> they don't wear dresses. You got you know, nobody with a dress on. And... <clears throat> In our stewardship classes, we teach this. Now, in, in all the time that I have uh, been involved in the ministry, and I've been pastoring since 1963, I can truthfully say that my stand relative to this has not changed one bit from what it is today. Now, the reason why is because I pretty well had, a, my, had my mind made up relative to what I thought the Bible taught a long time before I started pastoring. And uh, I, want to, I just want to address every issue as much as I possibly can. Now, this is not a good service for you to attend for your first time. So, Rick, if you'll just take everything that I say, and after I leave, put it on the back burner. Don't throw it away because you'll need it someday. But put it on the back burner because, you see, when you come into church, you... For the most part, you think that everybody is perfect, including yourself, because you just received a blood washing from the Lord. And while we do believe in perfection, 
We believe that perfection is always interpreted in the light of spirituality or spiritual growth. A child can be born in a perfect condition, but if he does not change uh, and he only stays in the same proportion that he is presently in, but he gains weight, he'll end up later on as an adult with a head bigger than his waist because children are not of the same proportion of adults. Uh, While they keep their heads and all their other uh, faculties and such, uh, we do change proportionally. But a perfect baby is not a good specimen for a perfect 60-year-old man, see. So there are some changes that takes place. And perfection, according to the Scripture, is... is, uh, Keeping your life under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that is such an important doctrine for you to understand. In the last stewardship class, we taught on justification. And the next one, we were teaching on sanctification. And I want to, I've got the whole Bible study here. I'm not going to teach from the transparencies. I do, I did have it up. I don't have any notes for this tonight, but I've been in deep thought and prayer for several days. And I really didn't want to take a whole service when I say want to take it, not with uh, all of you. I wanted to take it in a saints-type meeting. But uh, as you very well know, we have films scheduled. A good number of things are taking place, and we just don't have a lot of extra nights in which we can meet as members of the congregation and talk about this. We do believe and stress the distinct difference between a male and a female. The Bible teaches that. I, however, addressed a class last Sunday night on the standpoint of modesty, and this seems to be the area in which there is a misunderstanding. Uh, some people feel that the dress codes that are taught in the Bible for man and woman are separate and apart from the thought of modesty are from the teaching of modesty. And I want to go into that with you tonight because I feel that it's very, very important. Now, I want to, as I said now, nobody knows who has called me uh, concerning uh, supporting me. There have been some letters written and such. And, and if you'll just keep it quiet then and not go and, and tell everybody, well, I wrote Brother Grant, then it won't be circulated around, see. Follow what I'm saying? And this will give me enough time to answer. I'd like to call each one of you in individually and talk with you. But uh, it would be impossible because of the time. Your time and mine, which is very valuable to you and me, but I feel that it, it's such an important thing that we must address it. And I'm not afraid to address it. I do not feel intimidated by your criticism. I do feel that some of you have criticized not really understanding or knowing uh, altogether uh, the true teaching of the Bible. So uh, I just want to go into that. We established our school here in in 1980. Uh, We are on our fifth year of school. And I I really do thank the Lord for our school. Uh, We do have a number of things in our school. in our handbook that we request to the girls 
and a number of things that we request for the boys, however, we did make it plain that we do not consider everything in the handbook and all the requirements that we have as the true standard of holiness. Now, to just give you an example, if a man comes to our school, he wears a plain blue shirt or white shirt. He cannot have blue on blue, and neither can he have white on white. Now, I know that you know what blue on blue is and white on white. In other words, it can't be a blue-striped shirt with, you know, blue and same color blue, but it have a stripe in it. can't be a white shirt and yet have another uh, white stripe in it. Now, that's just part of our code. While we do believe that our codes are very modest, uh, if everybody got blue on blue, because there's so many variations, uh, you wouldn't have a uniform at all. And uh, consequently then, we just said everybody get blue because uh, we got a color in which everybody gets. And if you get a plain blue shirt, plain blue shirts are always plain blue. But white on white can vary somewhat because of the pattern, the width of the stripes and such. Also, the boys, if they wear long sleeves, must button their sleeves down. In other words, they can't go in the learning center with sleeves rolled up. Now, we don't say that it's, that's a sin to wear blue on blue or white on white or roll your sleeves up. But we do say that, that we do have a standard because there is a uniform that we require. And if you vary too far, then you're just not in uniform. This is an academy. We run it like that. It's not just a Christian school. But it's a Christian academy. It, uh, quite frankly, is probably more military than it is civilian. And uh, we, we just, uh, we don't hang our head about that. Uh, we have parents. I've had a host of parents to say, Brother Grant, you're too picky. And I said, well, I'm not saying I'm too picky, but I am mighty picky. But uh, I will say that. And I have some of the kids who say, Brother Grant, you're just too picky about things. Well, I say, I'm not too picky, but I am picky. And I don't, uh, I don't apologize for that. I, I trust and pray, however, in the Bible study tonight, I'll be able to cover most everything. For some reason, however, uh, it has been understood that Brother Rutherford came here to start the school, and he started with strict holiness and standards. I want to set the record straight. Number one, Brother Rutherford didn't come here to start the school. We, as a church, started the school. We employed him. Secondly, every standard that's been set in this church and this school since the beginning of my ministry here in 1972, up until this present time, and all of the standards and policy of the school was set personally by myself, nobody else. So if any of you are feeling that uh, for some reason, because we started a class downstairs that's, that's brought about the big question, that uh, I am much more lenient than Brother Rutherford. Please keep in mind, Brother Rutherford's job was not to set school policy and never did. He never required any standards of holiness from anybody in the school. This was something that I personally set. Everything that was set in the school was set. Now, I give Brother Rutherford credit for putting together the handbook, but the contents of the handbook came out of my own personal heart. The parent... Uh, the, the parent and uh, uh, pastor covenant that we go into, I personally was, am responsible for that. 
the dress codes. I'm personally responsible for that. The uniforms that we have, my wife went and picked those out according to the particular standard in which I asked her to pick out. The culottes that she modeled here in the church, I personally put my approval on it. She, I didn't go pick out the pattern, but told her what that I felt was right and what I felt was wrong. And I can truthfully say this, I do not feel that what we are doing is in any way a letdown or in violation of any of the standards that's taught, not only by this church, but by the United Pentecostal Church. So I want to address that, but I do want to set the record straight. Brother Rutherford does have four girls, but just because he has four girls doesn't mean he's more sensitive to uh, the area of what a girl should wear than what I personally am in view of the fact that I have counseled almost every parent here relative to the standard for their girls. And it might also interest a lot of you to to know that I'm one of the very few pastors that teaches all the standards in the church, even the standards to the ladies. I do that in a stewardship class. And some of the pastors that I've personally known have asked me, don't you feel awkward talking to the ladies about standards of holiness? And I, I tell them no. No, I don't feel that way at all. Well, I'm not saying that I do not feel my wife is qualified to do it. I feel that the man should be the head of the household. I believe he ought to be the spokesman for the household. If there are complaints offered, it ought to be come from the man, not from his wife. Now, I'm a, I'm a very firm believer in that. And if a man does not have the backbone to offer his own complaints... He ought to seal his mouth and not complain to his wife, and his wife should not carry the message for him. Now, this may sound real plain and real frank, but I'm going to get right down to some of the basic issues that are taught in the Bible. Now, if I am saying something in which I cannot prove according to Scripture, I readily and quickly apologize, but you know very well where I'm going in the Scripture because you have followed me through this many, many times. Is that true? Okay. Now, I will say this. In our class downstairs, I did not allow people to voice their opinion. And that will also be true here tonight. And the reason why is because I believe that unity is a very, very vital thing. And when people start uh, disagreeing or asking questions, any of you can ask a question... And the congregation can quickly determine whether you are in favor or disfavor of what is being taught. And it is a disfavor for you to be allowed to voice your opinion in opposition to the pulpit. Because you know yourself that 90% of the people will take sides with the leader. The reason why is because they get that from the scripture. It does not mean that leaders are not subject to faults and failure. But I do at this this time feel totally 100% sure in what I am teaching. It is not a teaching that I care to necessarily have isolated in this church. It is not anything that I would be ashamed to teach, not only in our district, but to our entire constituency, including our general board and Brother Urshan. So please keep in mind what I am saying here. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you very straightforward and very plain, but I feel that I need to do this. I feel a very, very strong urge to do this. Now, 
as I said before, our ladies do not wear uh, men's apparel, and neither do our men wear ladies' apparel. Now, I would like to start, however, by first informing you that uh, the issue that is brought up so often comes from the Old Testament teaching of Deuteronomy 22. Now, I'd like for everybody to turn there. Now, you who are in the stewardship class, you're going to get this plus some more. Uh, We have about probably four lessons that we teach. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. The Bible says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now that was a law that was given specifically to one nation, Israel. Now that doesn't mean that that law doesn't apply to other nations, but I'm just... I'm telling you who the the law was given to Israel. The Mosaic law, if you will read in the book of Romans, you will find it was not a universal law. It was given to the household of Israel. It was intended to be for them. That does not mean it was intended to stay there because the Jews were responsible for the propagation of the law among other nations. The problem with the Jews, as you very well know, according to Matthew 23, is that they became very, very bigoted and did very little proselyting or converting. They did do some, but most of it was accidental. It really was. They just didn't, didn't reach out. Now, you can't, you can't look in the Bible and show to me that there ever was a time which God turned His head toward any hungry heart, even though the law was specifically for Israel. One of the greatest revivals of the Old Testament happened in a Gentile nation or a Gentile city, the city of Nineveh. These people turned to the Lord simply because a man who would not preach the gospel, later being swallowed by a whale, changed his mind and went and preached there. Now, the Deuteronomy 22 law, not only dealing with uh, a man in a woman's garment, in Deuteronomy 22, there are other things there. If you back up just a little bit, it says, Thou shalt not see thy brother's ass or his ox fall down by the way, and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely help him to lift them up again. Then he goes into this business about a bird's nest and such. And if you look at verse 9, he said, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds. That means don't take a handful of seeds out there. Mixed together and just sow. Lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. In other words, there will be an intermixing. Uh, I happen to be one who has been involved in some farming in the past, and there are certain crops that you can't plant side by side. It's not wise to plant watermelons and cucumbers side by side, they actually will mix. You can also plant potatoes and tomatoes side by side and you have a problem with pollination in those so all of this was teaching Israel something about God that there are certain things that matter to God there is a distinction and that they were to feel separated always thou shalt not plow verse 10 
with an ox and an ass together. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts as of woolen and linen together. Now, let's just stop there. We could go on and on and on right in this particular law. But let me ask you this. How come, when we look at this law, how come we take Deuteronomy 22.5 and practice it, and yet we don't practice anything else in this chapter? Now, this is something that you need to consider, see. You, you really need to consider that. How can we take and practice part of it and we don't practice all of it? Well, I can show you many, many things in the New Testament in which we, we practice that they didn't practice under the law, and many things under the law that they don't practice in the New Testament, and many things under the law that they did practice in the New Testament. Now, I'm kind of saying a mouthful there, but... But how can you properly categorize subjects and say, well, I'll practice this, but not this. I'll practice this, but not this. I'll practice this, but not this. This, but not that. I'll ignore this, but place emphasis upon this. Now, that's, very, that's a very valid question. Not only is it a very valid one, but uh, I think it's a pretty easy one to answer, quite frankly. Now, I read to you a few things in my message Sunday night on a ministry of love. If you'll just take and turn back there with me. A ministry uh, of love. And from Romans, uh, Romans 13. Romans 13. Uh, the law of Lord, love toward his neighbor is mentioned. In Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now notice verse 9. He said, He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, or kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Now, when we look at that, he is naming off, what's he naming off here? Anybody have any idea? Naming off the, really a portion of the Ten Commandments. But now you don't find all the Ten Commandments listed here. Do you? Well, I don't think it's necessary to list them all here. The first of the Ten Commandments is, is that, that God is one and you're not supposed to have any other gods. Now he didn't list that here. And the reason why it wasn't necessary to list here is because the whole book of Romans is dealing with that. Romans 5 on, it talks about Jesus Christ, you know, and then how to get into the body of Christ, and, and that you're to love Him, and your fidelity is to Him. And Romans 12, uh, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed. It's teaching you sanctification relative to your God. But it might interest you to note that in Romans 13, when this is given, it looks like he just specifically leaves out one commandment, and that has to do with the Sabbath day. He never really mentions it, does it? It's a strange thing, too, in Luke 18, when Jesus quoted the law to the rich young ruler and never made any reference to the Sabbath day. Didn't talk about it at all. Now, I'm just giving you one example so when we begin to interpret the Old Testament law, New Testament Christians, we find, did not observe 
Saturday as the Sabbath. And it appears by practice by uh, various phrases and words that are mentioned in the New Testament that it was changed the first day of the week. For an example, Jesus was resurrected on what day of the week? The first day of the week. Was he not? When the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was poured out upon the first day of the week. See? When the Apostle Paul talks to the Corinthians about laying in store their offerings and such, he said do so on the first day of the week. See? So the reason why that New Testament Christians do not observe the seventh day, which is Saturday, and even though the law teaches, because there's no teaching in the New Testament endorsing that. In fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll find out, hey, wait a minute. The, the, the uh, Sabbath day was a type or a shadow of something to come. And that is our day of rest, which we receive right now in the Holy Ghost, and later on our eternal day of rest with God. So, the reason why, and I'm just giving you one example. There are a lot of other examples that I could go into that are found in the law, and the reason why we don't do them is because they're not picked up and taught in the New Testament. Is it wrong to kill? Sure it is. He says it is. The New Testament not only teaches it here, but many other cases, places, see. Is it wrong, then, to plow an ox with an ass? Uh Evidently not, because the disciples, I say the disciples, the apostles, never even addressed the subject, did they? Uh, what about the, the wearing of various uh, garments, uh, linen uh, types, of linen and wool together? You couldn't do that in the Old Testament. Uh, we got anybody here that examined what type of linen or what type of clothing you were wearing tonight as far as the material? See, you could put on you could put on wool and and cotton or whatever, and, and you wouldn't think anything about it. In fact, we even have blends where they're mixed together. Now, why then do we teach this? Deuteronomy twenty two five. We don't teach the others because I, for one, and not only me, but uh, literally thousands of preachers believe. That the Deuteronomy 22.5 law is emphasized in the New Testament. See? But when you look in the New Testament relative to the way in which it was emphasized, it was not emphasized only in the separation of sexes, which it is taught uh, indirectly, and I'll, I'll go into that, but it's emphasized in the area of modesty only. Now, I shouldn't say only. Pardon me. But the, the, for the major part, primarily, secondarily, uh, separation of sexes. Now, I want to get into that just, just for a little bit. Now, you may say, why, Brother Grant, then, is this true? Because, you see, the Deuteronomy 22.5 law the Israelites all knew what a woman's garment was and what a man's garment was. Now, they knew that. There was just absolutely no doubt in their mind. They knew that. But you see, the law was specifically given to Israel. The New Testament law was given to all people everywhere. Now, when I teach, when I teach in our stewardship classes, I tell 
the ladies. We do not wear, the ladies in our church do not wear pants. But to say that Deuteronomy 22.5 is specifically speaking of pants, I can't say that. Now let me tell you the reason why I can't say that. I can't say it simply because that nobody in Israel even wore pants then. See? Nobody. Now, I do feel, however, that the culture of a nation is so very vital and so very important. Now, the reason why I feel that, because you will find that this was a, this was a real big issue with God. And I can go through the Scripture. In fact, I have a two-hour Bible study that I've given to ministers on incompatible marriages, dealing with cultural backgrounds and such. Why that it is very, very important that people, when they consider a spouse, that they consider someone of the same cultural background. Now, if you would look at me, look at me, you look at me if you don't have your Bible, but if you have your Bible, look at the Scripture. Acts, the 17th chapter, and... Acts 17, uh, let's just look at verse 22. This is Paul on Mars Hill. He said, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with the hands, with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now notice verse 26, and this is the one I want you to notice. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. You know, this business of, of national boundaries was not man's idea. It was God's idea. God specifically laid out the boundaries for Israel. Not only Israel, but if you notice one thing, after the Tower of Babel, when men gathered in one mind and one accord to build a tower to reach the heavens, that was a man-made method to get to heaven. God placed a curse upon them, confounded their languages, and the three sons of Noah were sent into three different and distinct areas to replenish and multiply the earth. And it was at this time that national boundaries were set and languages were formed. See, the, the Bible makes it very plain uh, that the whole earth was one language. Now, the Bible makes it very, very plain. Now, God seeing, however, that man's united effort would bring about another chaotic condition in which he would be forced to destroy the world prematurely, he then set each boundary, placed people in it, gave them a language, and the Bible says he determined the bounds of their habitation. Did you know no nation, no nation has ever been overrun by another nation, regardless of how powerful, as long as that nation minded their own business. When I say minded their own business, I'm saying that they tried to live right in sight of God. Now why then is this true? 
Because you see, God is interested. He is vitally interested in national boundaries and language barriers and cultures. You may say, why, Brother Grant? Because, you see, when the whole world was of one language and one culture, one man gets an idea, and what happens? That idea, as sinful or as righteous as it may be, can easily be transferred to somebody else. And you will find that one of the greatest detriments, the greatest detriment to the work of Satan in the world is national boundaries. The greatest detriment. And the reason why is because you see some rock fad or some punk rock group or something can hit a nation like America, but it can't go into some of the eastern world. Or it can't get into some of Africa. See? So you can see the wisdom in the mind of God in establishing this. So this whole business about uh, the law of separation and such, and I want to go into the New Testament and talk about it, but the reason why, and I want to address this the way that, that I feel is very, very important is because, you see, if you taught the law of separation of, of Deuteronomy 22.5 and you didn't consider the New Testament teaching of it, friend, you wouldn't have one leg to stand on as far as forming a doctrine, not one. You wouldn't have any more grounds to stand on than, than, than a man who refused to plow an ox with an ass. Now, I'm not for sure that's a good idea, but I don't, I don't know that it'd be a sin. Now, let me just show you something here. And this is something, this is a real situation. Now, it is a real situation. We might as well to, to look, at, look at this situation in, in the light of reality. Now, while I was not able to, to uh, do, and I'm preparing this for our stewardship classes, uh, this is a modern-day garb for Egypt. Uh, now, there is a difference in the way they're dressed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there is a distinct difference. Uh, the lady looks like she has a respirator on or something. Keep from breathing the sand, but uh, you can see the you can see the distinct difference there. Now this is very very similar to the way the Israelites actually dressed right here. So when the commandment was given, this it was given to people who dressed very similar to this. Now follow carefully what I'm saying, okay? Follow very very carefully. This is a modern day Israeli woman. Now this is a formal outfit that she has on. Looks like she's got big teeth there. I'm not. I'm not for sure how that turned out that way. But I took these from the World Book Encyclopedia, by the way. And I'd also like to tell you as we go through here, the colors in these things are so very, very vivid. It's, it's unbelievable with some of the bright colors that you see in these. Now, that's an Israeli woman. Now, Sister Rose is not here tonight, but this is the official garb of the Nigerians. Now you see the reason why that you can't you can't take a Western standard and say, well, this is what the Bible is teaching. You've got to have a greater foundation than just that. You follow what I'm saying? Because see, the New Testament was not written to one country. 
It was written to all people of all nations, each having their own distinct boundaries and language and cultures, all of which they were not even responsible for setting altogether themselves, but God. Now, I really believe that. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. You see, that's right after the, uh, the, uh, the flood. Uh, there was a time in which all the world was connected together. There was no separation, see, of continents. It also might interest you to know that when the millennium comes, when we have one ruler, a one-world ruler, a one-world ruler, and that's Jesus Christ, that the nations will be joined together again. People say, why are you against one world government? Well, uh, basically I'm against it because that's not God's idea. It just simply isn't God's idea. Now, here's a man from Scotland, and praise God. Now, I am, uh, my major background is Scottish. Now, in other words, if I were to become a missionary to Scotland, now they do not wear the kilts as much. A lot of this, a lot of Europe has been westernized, and this has caused a big problem. And if you will read about the conflict of the American embassy in Iran, you'll find that one of the biggest conflicts that Iran had with us was the fact that we were trying to westernize Iran. I go read it. I read in U.S. News and World Report. They thought America was too filthy, that all of their rock and uh, punk rock and and hard rock, acid rock, and and X-rated movies and everything, they didn't want it in their nation, and they protested us. Now it might also amaze you when you begin to think then in the mind of God, why would God allow these hostages be held some four hundred days? And every American vehicle that went over there to deliver them to end up in a crash. You see, the truth of the matter is, while we say we believe in, in one God, we say we, we, believe in, we believe in righteousness and such, you know good and well that every nation that America has tried uh, to have any dealings with, they've tried to westernize it, and for the most part... Uh, there are a lot of things that happen good, but there are a lot of things that happen bad. Take a trip to Europe. Brother O'Neill is going to Europe. He's going to find out that one of the greatest, greatest problems that the Germans have in their mind relative to their young people, it's also true in, in Switzerland, is the fact that they sit and listen to English rock. that They, don't, they can't even hear the words anyway. But, but some of them who could speak English over there told me it didn't make any difference because you can't understand them even if you understand English. See, and they don't like that. Now, I'm just pointing out something now. You see, if I became a missionary to this country, it would be hard for me to go in and say, hey, you know, you, you need to wear pants. He would probably look at men and say, hey, we were wearing kilts a long time before there ever was a pair of pants. Now, <laughs> I know you're going to ask, you know, you may say, Brother Grant, you're really trying to cloud the issue. No, I'm trying to point something out. I, I trust that you understand what I'm really trying to point out, that I think it's so very, very vital. Uh, I'm not for sure when people started wearing pants or trousers like I wear. Uh, <clears throat> the word pants is really an abbreviation for pantaloon. 
And they were first worn by women underneath as an undergarment. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I thought I'd... <laughs> I thought I'd just throw that in, you know. And later the ladies dropped the pantalooms and they started wearing them real short and they abbreviated pantaloon again, but this time they called it panty. So the men were wearing them on the outside and the women shortened theirs and wore them as undergarments. But both of them come from the same word and it's, they're no more than an abbreviation of pantaloon. Like one little boy said, he said, if Superman's so smart, why does he wear his shorts on the outside of his pants? <laughs> see, there's just... <laughs> I'm not see. I'm not for sure. See, I'm not really for sure why that as a, as that we have the culture we have. I believe that God has a lot to do with it. I believe that God had a lot to do with this culture. But you see, one of the biggest problems that our missionaries has, and you can you can talk to the missions department, is that you go to a country like Nigeria, for an example. Let me just show you. Let's go back there because we have missionaries in Nigeria. Now you show you show a picture of the men of Nigeria in a Bible school looking like this. And you know what happens? The American people say, we won't support them if they're not going to wear pants. And that's a hardship for our missions department. I mean, it's a real hardship. Why? Because these people were wearing this kind of garb a long, long time before we started wearing pants. Now, I thank the Lord I live in America because I like this idea. See? But I'm just uh, I'm, I'm pointing out something to you that I think is very, very important, and we'll go into the New Testament teaching of this. Now, look at Hungary. Now, what would you do? Let me ask you. What would you do if you actually went to one of these countries? Uh, now, Hungary is a, is a country that has been highly westernized, and probably if you went there, you wouldn't have a problem. Some of the countries you would. You wouldn't in Scotland anymore. You probably wouldn't in Hungary. You would in some of the African countries and a lot of trouble in Asian countries. But now, what would you do if you went there? Uh, let me just ask you, would you would you teach that this is a man's garment? Now, you know, you, you need to think of this. You may be called as a missionary one day. I don't really like to... Th- I'm just glad I'm here I don't have to deal with it. Follow what I'm saying? Uh, let's go on a little bit further here. Here is an official costume of the Greeks. It doesn't, to me now, that just doesn't look very, uh, very masculine. But you see, the idea of masculinity actually, now listen to me carefully when I say this. The idea of masculinity and the model for masculinity does change from country to country. Now, you go to Europe and you're going to find all the men wearing purses or carrying purses. And I would tell you, you know, if you're here, don't carry a purse around. My. Now, here's one that I I think this is really funny. Good. No, no, I've got the wrong one here. Take a look at this. This is the official garb of France. Now, couldn't you see me preaching up there in a pair of those? <laughs> <laughs> <Not> really? 
Now then, let's... And now here's one that would really blow your mind. This is the official garb of Thailand. You see it's reversed here. That almost looks like a... Well, that's different. Uh, you, you follow what I'm saying here now. Now please, we're, we're looking at this as squarely as we possibly can. Uh, the reason why it's important that you do this because... Any teaching in the Bible that's there, uh, there is a reason why it's taught. And I want to show you the reason why it's taught. Because basically, the Lord wants you to know the truth. He wants you to have the truth. Uh, and as I said before, in no way, it, what I am saying here is this a letdown in any of my teaching. Uh, I just believe that the Deuteronomy 22 law... It mentions a man's garment and a woman's garment. doesn't spell it out, though. Why? Because they understood what it was. When you get into the New Testament, however, you don't find this taught. As a primary purpose. But you find something taught in a primary purpose that covers it, covers it so well. I mean, I think it covers it so very well and so beautifully. Now, if you would turn with me to, uh, well, we could all, we could start in almost any book in the New Testament, but if you would take and just turn with me to to First Corinthians eleven, we'll we'll just start there, and I'll uh, I'll read a few things here that I think is important. We're going to give you a break whenever you've been here for a little while. How long have we been going? Forty minutes. 45 minutes, we'll go about 5 minutes and then we'll have a break and we'll go a little while longer. Alright? Now 1 Corinthians 11, it said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you keep me, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. Now let's just say this together. Keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Let's say it again. Keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now the reason why he's saying this is because that uh, they put an interpretation of the Old Testament quite often that really was not the proper interpretation. Now you know that. The Pharisees did that. They accused Jesus Christ of doing works on the Sabbath. They accused Him of traveling more than a Sabbath day's journey. They accused Him of... of uh, of a lot of things. And Jesus, you know, Jesus said, was man created for the Sabbath or the Sabbath created for man? Which he got right down to the real issue of it to challenge their mind. That's what I'm trying to do here tonight. Now, I am not intimidated nor embarrassed, as I said before, by any criticism that anybody has offered relative to what we're doing. But I do want everybody to understand. And I trust that when we finish that you possibly, that you will. Now, so keep the ordinances I delivered unto you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors with his head. Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. Now you see, the whole purpose of the Old Testament law was to teach a distinct difference in the sexes. Now, why did God want a distinct difference taught in the sexes? 
Because when he, when he placed a curse upon man, he put the man, or when I say man, that's his new creation, man and woman, he put the man as the head of the household and the woman as the follower in the household. Now he did it for a reason. Why did he do it? Because Adam did not sin, but it was Eve. And she takes a subjective role today simply because that she was first the transgressor. Now, I didn't write the Bible. Please understand. And I'm not against women. Now, this can be interpreted that way because there is a real drift in our nation to destroy family units and the authority of the man. Now, let's just turn back to let's turn back to Genesis 2. And, and, and I think the little light can be shed on this. As we look at it, Genesis 2, all right, verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay? And they were both naked. In other words, they didn't wear any clothes. The man and his wife and were ashamed. Were not ashamed. Pardon me. They were not, a, not ashamed. Now when they sinned, however, the Bible tells us that when the woman saw, verse 6 of chapter 3, that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now what they did, evidently they made aprons. That is the same dress code for both. See? An apron here actually means a skirt type thing. That's what they made. All right? He probably made her one. It looks good. She said, we'll use the same pattern and make Adam one. No, I'm serious when I say that. So she made him one. Now, in verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Words, how did you know you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat. Now God then placed a curse upon mankind. Verse 14 and verse 15. Now verse 16. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. In other words, a man was pronounced by God as the head of the household. All right. Now, if you look in verse 21, and Adam also and his wife did the Lord God made coats of skins and clothed them. Now, the word coats here simply means garments of skin. Now, God then made them garments. He didn't like what they had made, probably two alike. He then said, we're going uh, uh, to make coats for them. And give them these, and that's what they're going to wear. So 
That's what God did. Now, if you will look in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, when he says, Now you keep the ordinances I delivered unto you, them unto you, he then goes into the chain of command, and that's exactly what he's going into. See, if man had never sinned, we would never have an issue like we're discussing now with mankind. And in all probability, Adam would not have been the head of the household because we would have no need of the type government that we have. But we have a need of it now. All right? Now, if you will go down and look, you will say this, or you will find this out. He tells us that a woman, it's all right for a woman to pray or prophesy with her head covered. But if she prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, she dishonoreth, dishonoreth her head. Who is her head? The man. It simply means a woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered dishonors her head. That's her husband. If she's not married, her father. Or if she has no father, the next authority over her in line. Could be a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, rather. All right? For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. In other words, the angels rebelled against God. They wanted to make themselves equal with God. Read it for yourself in the book of Isaiah. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man, and the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so the man also even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourself, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. Now, nature teaches that. Now, how does nature teach that? You see, when a man gets old, what happens to him? He begins to lose his hair. See? You look around, look at all the men who have thin hair. Mine's getting thin back here. My hairline is certainly receding here. It's not like it was when I was a teenager. This is a sign that God put in nature showing that I should pray or prophesy with my head uncovered. So if a man has long hair, uh, verse 15, if a, but if a woman have long hair, is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So when it says that a woman should pray or prophesy, having her head covered, her hair is her covering. Now, we won't have time to teach the hair question here, but if you look in the Scripture, you will find in verse 6. Verse 5 and verse 6, there are three lengths of hair. There's shaven hair, shorn hair, and long hair. Now, shaven hair means to remove with a sharp object down to the skin. Shorn means to cut with scissors. Long means uncut hair. That's the only interpretation you could put it into that. For this reason, our ladies 
have long hair. Now, why do they have long hair? Because that long hair is a symbol of their attitude toward their husband. See? Now, it is, if your teaching is not right on this, however, it is, it is not only possible, it's highly probable that a woman could have real long hair, never cut it a day in her life, and still not have the right attitude. See, for this reason, women can have long hair and still not have the right attitude toward leadership or toward her husband. But it was definitely put in the Scripture, it's an external sign of an internal spirit. Now, the Pharisees were guilty of having it all on the outside, nothing on the inside. Now, Jesus never told us that what's on the outside does not matter. He did, however, say, hey, if you put all the importance on the outside and nothing on the inside, that's where you're going to miss it, see? If you got the inside right, you're going to have everything right on the outside. But, but nevertheless, uh, if you reverse it, you, you can't have it, see? Now, so that's what he's teaching there. Now, we don't stop there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul gives us spiritual gifts. Okay? Spiritual gifts are outlined. Well, I say outlined. They're regulated. There are regulations placed on spiritual gifts. Now, in verse 33... There is a scripture that says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Now, God's the author of peace. You cannot have peace without government. There must be a definite chain of command in order to have peace. Now, I can, I can prove that according to the scripture. Just a, a good example in the scripture. Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of his government and peace there shall be no end. See, government and peace go hand in hand because government is, is for the purpose of peace. See? Now what he's saying is, wait a minute. Now, God is not the author of confusion, but is in peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, verse 34. Now listen to this carefully. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted to them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn any things, let them ask their husband at home. For it's a shame for a woman to speak in a church. Now, we have ladies. Do we have anybody here? Do we have any ladies here who have spoken tonight in church? You open your mouth at all. Some of you are saying, I've already said something tonight. Now, see, does that, does that violate the Scripture? Now, if the Scripture is saying what you ordinarily think that it's saying here, I think we would be wrong to have our sisters singing. I think we would be wrong to have our sisters teaching in stewardship classes, teaching Sunday school classes. I know a lot of people said, oh, that's in business. Listen, the context of the scriptures dealing with spiritual gifts has nothing to do with business. Right. 
So you can't just put the interpretation there that you want. Now let me say this. Isn't it strange that Paul has already said that a woman can pray and prophesy if she has her head covered? Now he's already said that in chapter 11. Then he outlines spiritual gifts. Then he tells us they should be run by love. Then he regulates spiritual gifts. Now he said, I'm going to talk to you about a problem you've had. Because you've got, you got problems here because there's no peace among you. And the reason why is because you don't understand what the proper teaching of the chain of command is. Now, he said, and he quoted a portion of the law, however, he did not quote it the way the law actually stated it. And verse 36, listen to this. He says, what? Question mark. Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? In other words, what he does, he challenges it. He says, he quotes, as also saith the law. He said, what? That came out of you, not out of the law. That didn't come out of the law. That's what he's saying. In other words, you're placing a penalty upon the women where they cannot even be spiritual. And God wants to use them. Now, he's already said, it's all right for her to pray and prophesy if she has the right attitude. But if her attitude's not right, she has no business praying or prophesying. Now, we don't stop there. Look at verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you, what did Paul say? Keep the ordinances I give them unto you. What's he doing? He's making reference to what he just said over there in chapter 11. He said, now, I've already told you. Now, if you think that you're spiritual, please understand that I'm an authority over you and you listen to me. Now, I, I want to say this. I'm going to be real bold. Sometimes you say things because you feel spiritual. Sometimes you say things because you just downright feel nasty. And I'm kind of halfway in between it. Okay? If he's not saying that, I'd like to know what in the world he is saying. And if you disagree with that, then I challenge all of you women to come around here for a week without ever opening your mouth. <clears throat> no, I'm very serious with you when I say that. If he's not saying that, then what is he saying? That's exactly what he's saying. Because he's already told them it's all right for a woman to pray or prophesy if she has her head covered. But now if she doesn't have the symbol there, she doesn't have her head covered, uh, she shouldn't be praying or prophesying. But if she's praying and prophesying, she's got her head covered. She understands the chain of command. Adam was formed first, then was Eve. First it was God, and then it was Christ, and then it was Adam, and then it was Eve. That's what he's saying. Now, wherefore, brethren... Verse 38, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let everything be done decently and in order. In other words, understand government and everything's going to be all right. We're going to have to give you a break here. And I still, I'm not even started good. But we'll try to end this, okay, without uh, too much... Uh, uh, 
longer duration here. Just stand, would you? Let's lift our hands and really thank the Lord. Hallelujah. God, we love you so much. out and go all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament relative to this subject. I think it would be so enlightening. It would probably take us 15 or 20 hours of straight teaching though. At least that much. I would like to say this. I really do mean this. Uh, Relative to the issue that, that I brought up before. Please understand, regardless of what your convictions are, I'm not, I am in no way critical of that. I'm just uh, asking you to grant the same to someone who has the same convictions but interprets the Scripture in, in a different manner in which you have interpreted the Scripture. It's really hard for a pastor who is the teacher of of the whole church, you can teach one thing and one person gets it one way and another person gets it another way. When the Bible speaks of the Holy Ghost being a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, see, uh, your basic attitude determines how you interpret things. And everybody's attitude may vary somewhat, but we trust through consistent Bible teaching that it will not uh, be uh, that there will not be that much of, of a variance there. But uh, in the New Testament, we'll not be able to go to Ephesians or Colossians, but we will cover 1 Timothy 2. Now, I'm covering this, the only passage of Scripture uh, that deals with dress codes in the New Testament. Now, that, just not this one, but I'm talking about in this study tonight. Outside of the what Jesus said to the Pharisees and such. Okay, 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In other words, the nature of a man is to be to be enthusiastic, the nature of a man is to be decisive. The nature of a man is to be straightforward. He should conduct his business without fear or intimidation. Now notice in verse 9, he says, in like manner also. Now what's he saying when he's saying in like manner also? Does he mean the women supposed to conduct their business the same way the men? No, that's not what he's saying. When he says in like manner also, what he's saying is, hey, there is an appropriate, appropriate method for a man to do certain things and there's an appropriate method for a woman. See? Like manner also is making reference. I'm dealing with the same thing. But here's how it is for a woman. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now the word modest is found here. I said I didn't have any notes, but I do. I'll take it back. I did write down the definition of modest. Uh, Modesty, taken from the Greek, really means orderly, of good behavior. It means chaste. 
or chests. In our present English, modesty, free from vanity, egotism, boastfulness, are great pretensions. It means having or showing regard for decencies in behavior, in speech, in dress. A synonym would be chaste, that means pure in lifestyle, subdued or simple. It also means a distaste for anything coarse or loud. It means shyness, sobriety. It implies a bashful or a quiet simplicity. Now, none of this is mine. So if you disagree with that, take it up with Webster and World Book. I took them, and Strong's Concordance, so... I just wanted to tell you that. I I didn't put that together there. I agree with that, though, for this reason. It's almost like he's redundant or he repeats himself over. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh woman professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. You may say, oh, well, he says right here. Oh, but he's dealing right here, not with a church service in which a woman can be used when the Holy Ghost speaks through her. He's talking about the nature of a woman here. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now the reason why that women should not be teachers of men is because, verse 13, Adam was first formed, then Eve. You may say, but you've got teachers. Yes, we do have teachers downstairs. Women teachers. You may say, why then do you have women teachers, Brother Grant? Because I can also prove to you in the Bible that it is a position in the Scripture for women to teach children. I can show you that in the scripture, see. So all we're trying to do is trying to be in the total boundaries, work within the framework of the scripture. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Now, that simply means she'll be saved in childbearing if she continues in faith, in charity, that's love, in holiness which is godliness and sobriety. Sobriety means being sober and moderate, not loud. Now, when he addresses the subject of how a woman should dress, he addresses it from an entirely different angle from separation. However, we don't rule out separation. He addresses it from the standpoint of modesty. Why? Because modesty... If it's followed through according to the scripture, brings about a separation. This is the reason why he goes into the separation of the sexes, Adam, then Eve. 
and the law of separation in Deuteronomy 22.5, that's what it's speaking of. God did not want the blending of the sexes together. See? Now, let's go on then to, uh, well, we'll just stop at Titus. Titus, the second chapter. There is just nothing done, nothing said here about, about, uh, uh, dress codes, though. Titus 2, but it does speak of the attitude. But speak thou the things which become a sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, and patient. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their children, husbands, to love their husbands and love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now notice this, how strong he says it. He's saying, now, you need to do all this so that you don't end up blaspheming. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Okay. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters. You may say, Brother Grant, uh, I notice in the Bible they even talk about servants and masters. Did you know... Did you know that when Jesus was here, he did not try to change the social or culture environment of any nation? It might also interest you to know that when, when a, a man, a young man, a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus received the Holy Ghost, Paul instructed him to go back to his master Philemon and report back to him. Now, you may say, are you saying, Brother Grant, that you believe the Bible teaches that you should have slaves? The Bible doesn't say that. I'm, I'm trying to point out something here. That just as I showed you the different cultures and things, when Jesus Christ came, he worked within the frameworks of those cultures. Now, he did. And this is the reason why that there were problems that arose in the New Testament. Read Acts 15. Read Acts 7 and Acts 6 and through there. Problems cropped up. Some of the first problems in the church brought about deacons. Why? Because the Grecians thought that there was a prejudice in the church. That the Hebrew ladies were receiving more attention. Now am I right or am I wrong? Okay, there's nothing that's said here about dress codes. Silent. He does, however, speak of what? Modesty, moderation, temperance, sobriety. Okay? Now, look at uh, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 Peter 3, pardon me. Now, as I said before, we'll not be able to cover all the scriptures of the New Testament. However, we want to cover some of the major ones. We will cover those dealing with apparel and such. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. 
that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. Now, conversation here does not mean vocalizing, communicating vocally. It doesn't rule it out. It simply means by all of your behavior, your speech, yes, but also the way you conduct yourself. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Your, what kind of conversation? Chaste behavior. While they behold what? Your modest behavior. Coupled with fear. Who's adorning? Let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Now, I personally teach where it speaks of gold, it's speaking of moderation. People ask me, if it's, is it all right if I have a golden wedding band on? Now, if this is not speaking of moderation, then I'd say, don't wear any gold. See? Now you may say, well, why then do you interpret it as speaking of moderation? Because he said the putting on of apparel, and the Bible does tell us we all need to wear clothes. So all we're doing, we're just interpreting the wearing of gold and the plaiting of the hair. We're we're interpreting in the light of the way you have to interpret the putting on of apparel. Now notice this. He said. Don't let it be all those things, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. What's he talking about? He's talking about your attitude. That's where moderation comes from. That's where modesty comes from. That's where your attitude is. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price, Now please understand that if, if, if the Bible speaks something whether that's right and something that's wrong, you should always live by the right and the wrong regardless of your culture. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, if the Bible tells you, wait a minute, don't be putting on expensive apparel... That's what it means. But I would like to say this. I think expensive apparel can be interpreted somewhat by your environment. You know, if I pay $200 for the suit, that's real expensive. But I do rub shoulders with even some superintendents. If they pay $200 for the suit, they don't even want to wear them. I mean, what's the difference? It's the level upon which they live, see. So you can't put everybody in the same category. That's why James says if a man comes in, he's all decked out, big ring, gold, uh, it's a gold, big nice gray suit, and he walks in there and sits down, and you regard that man as being Mr. Somebody, and you let somebody else pass by, and you don't notice him. He said, that's not right. You're showing a preference there. That, that isn't right. You see, one man's just as rich as the other. It's just they live on different levels, see. Follow what I'm saying?
But on the other hand, when the Bible says a woman ought to have long hair, if you have a custom in your country to cut your hair all the time, that's, that's no excuse because the Bible just tells you outright what it's talking about. And if you notice in the very last verse there, he says, if I say the last verse, the last verse dealing with it, if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither in the houses of God. Now, when he says we have no such custom, he's not talking about custom being contentious. He saw when we don't have any such custom of allowing ladies to cut their hair. We're getting into some pretty heavy stuff. I hope that you're following along with me. This is so necessary. This really is so necessary. Now, okay, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. God highly regards this. Now, notice verse 5. For after this manner... In the old time, the holy women of old trusted in God, adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Now, he's saying the, the women of the Old Testament, when they adorned themselves, they adorned themselves in what? In modest apparel. So you, you, can't say, you can't separate a man's garment and a woman's garment and separate the business of modesty. You can't do that. You, you, there's just no possible way that you can do it. You can't make two issues out of it. Because the whole purpose of it in the Old Testament was so that there would be a distinct difference and the chain of command was always seen there. You know, here in the States, we get tired of that chain of command. You know, this is practically outside of a few Western, I say Western, outside of a few Western European allies, the United States is the only nation in the world that has a problem with the chain of command. See, it's a big problem here with us. It really is. Now, they adorned themselves. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, that was the purpose of all of the things that they wore in the Old Testament, was to show their trust in God and their trust in leadership and the purpose of the division of the sexes. Why God does not want men to be effeminate and he doesn't want perversion, it all must come under the banner of modesty because that's the only possible way that's taught in the New Testament. You can't separate it. You can't teach it. Any, and if you separate it, then the Deuteronomy 22.5 law has no bearing at all on this and you don't have one leg to stand on to even say what a woman ought to wear and what she ought not wear. Because you'd be just as silent on that, the Scripture would be, as a Sabbath day and some of the other teachings that some religions have picked up. But see, that's what he's talking about. He says, even as the women of old adorned themselves. Now, he goes on to say, even Sarah. Now, he's not just when he says women, please understand, he's talking about more than just Sarah. Because he uses the plural, women. He's not saying even as a woman of the Old Testament. He said, even as women of the Old even Sarah. In other words, he includes her along with all the others. 
Now notice what he says here. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now how did she call him Lord? By going around and saying, Lord Abraham? Lord Abraham? No, she called him Lord by her chaste behavior. It was a position that she elevated him to. She knew that he was her superior. Okay. Likewise, you husbands. Now, let's just go back. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are. Now, what he's saying is, whose daughters ye are. Whose daughters ye are. Is he speaking of Americans? No, he's speaking of those Nigerians. They may dress different. But remember, their language and their custom and their habitation was directed by God. He's talking about those of Thailand, the Thais, those in Scotland. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why all this? So that your prayers be not hindered. That's closely akin to the statement that he made to Titus, so that the word of God be not blasphemed. Because if your prayers are hindered, you can't get through to God, you can't interpret the scripture. Now, I just want to I just want to go into something then that uh, that uh, I, I feel that I really do need to explain once again, and that's the position that that I took, and I I, I really uh, I, I just want to I I I really want you to understand clearly. So we started an aerobic class downstairs for the girls and for the boys. Now let me tell you how this is operated, okay? Uh, we understood last year that we did not have the money to rent the gym. We rent a gym every week, twice a week, and uh, then we have an extra time during a quarter we rent it, or a month, rather. So it's really expensive. But for the most part, our children don't get any exercise. So parents were coming saying, Brother Grant, we do not have proper athletic uh, equipment. You explained that in the teacher, not the teachers, but the parent and pastor commitment. Uh, what can we do on our part? I said, well, get your boys a weightlifting set and so forth and so on. A lot of the ladies then went to the bookstores and they got an aerobic record. They went to a Christian bookstore, very conscientious, carefully selected one, brought it in, and even some of the mothers uh, manifested a lot of concern by doing it. Well, when it came time for school, we had a new number of people involved in this. And so as a result, I decided, not really even thinking, I've I got to tell you this, I never even one time dreamed that any one person would think that I was letting down on holding the standards because that I allowed the girls to go into a room, lock the room, get dressed inside the room, and put on a sweatsuit, and somebody said sweatpants. Yes, but see, I don't consider that as an outer garment. 